Ephesians chapter 1. The theme that I'd like to focus on this morning is redemption. Everyone say redemption. The word redeemed is not uncommon to us, although I am quite confident that um, there are very few individuals that understand the significance of redemption on a theological level. And so let's, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless this teaching. Father, I thank you for your Son. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love us. Now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, teach us, reveal things from your word, even things and concepts we're familiar with. Give us ears to understand and remind us of the goodness of your grace this morning. We thank you that you have redeemed us from the pit of death and from sin and saved us from the penalty that was due. We walk and are washed in the blood of Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for this word. Bless it. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You see redemption in verses 7 and in verse 14. The Holy Spirit seals us and reminds us of this redemption. Verse 7, it is we have this redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, through the blood of Jesus according to the riches of his grace. If you were with us last week, you would remember that Verses 3 through 6 are really the opening thanksgiving as pertain to God the Father. Paul here is, is blessing. He's taking time in this first part of the epistle to bless and thank God for all that we have. And then in verse 7, we transition to a doxology towards the Son of Man, that is Christ Jesus, and thanking Him for what we have in the Beloved, the end of verse 6. That is, that we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, praise the Redeemer for redemption. Who is the we in verse 7? In him we have. Who is the we, you ask? Oh, I'm so glad that you all asked. I've been chomping at the bit all week. I would really like to introduce you to the we. They're very special. They're very unique people. God loves them, but they don't deserve his love. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 1. Here you can see the we. And you were dead in your trespasses in sin. Before you had redemption, you were dead. Marinate in that one. I want you to see who the we is, for we often take his redemption for granted. That's the first thing you see about the we. Rotten sinners. I just want to clear that up up front, but there's also a lot more we can see about the we. Verse 2, in which in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. That's Satan. Walking in accordance to Satan's deeds. How many of you really admire Satan? You want to be just like him when you grow old. That's what you were. That's the we. Walking according to the principles of that evil liar, the snake, the serpent, the deceiver. Beyond that, the we happen to also be guided by the lust of their flesh, the desires of the mind and the flesh, and by nature, the children of wrath. That's the we, not a real lovely bunch, are they? Want to spend some time with them, don't you? Then you can look at verse 12. It says that the we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the we. That isn't enough to give you a point. You can look at verse 17 of chapter 4. It says that the we walked in the futility of their minds. Verse 18 says they were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, as if every kind of impurity wasn't bad enough, we get another phrase, with greediness. You not only do every kind of impurity, but you do it in greediness. That was the we. And next time you see somebody that just gets under your skin, how could that person be so evil? You read about things, you hear about things in the news. That is such wickedness. Remember that you once in your life were a part of that very same the we. That was us, folks. There we were. The, the lascivious, the greedy, the blind, the ignorant, the godless, the darkened, the vain, the strangers, those without hope, following after Satan. That was the we, that was us. Nice bunch. But God, He had a plan. He didn't just see the wickedness of man, He said, That's my redeemed. Oh, it's uncomfortable. That was us. The prophet Nathan points his finger at you. Thou art the man. But you better come to terms with your past 
Because if you've never seen yourself as the wicked, if you've never seen yourself as the vile, if you've never seen yourself as the unlovable, the sinful, then you've probably never actually been redeemed. That is because God sent his son to redeem sinners. That's the point. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. He didn't come to redeem the worthy. He came to redeem the unworthy. Our Redeemer came to redeem very sinners. He came to the we, the nasty, the vile. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to call sinners to repentance. So you better just see yourself in your past and where you were because that's what God came for. See, in our minds, God should have looked around the world and picked out some really good people, shouldn't he have? He's God. Why wouldn't he choose the best of the best, the cream of the crop? There was a problem. There weren't any good people. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our Redeemer came for the unworthy. All you need to know that the us in verse 6 and the we in verse 7 were unworthy, sinful people, and we were numbered among them. Back up to verse 1. It says, to the saints at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, are you faithful in Christ Jesus? Are you faithful to him? Then you are part of those we that participate in the redemption through his blood. Praise the Redeemer for his redemption. What is redemption, you ask? Again, I'm so glad that you asked. I've also been chomping at the bit. Redemption deals with your forgiveness. It deals with your justification. It deals with your expiation. Now, you don't have to be able to spell all those fancy words correctly, but you better understand how it works. Because apart from the blood of Jesus, you cannot get into heaven. That's right. There's a requirement for access into heaven. Yes, our gospel is a bloody one, and you just better sort of come to terms with it. In fact, it is the blood of an innocent, the slaughter of the undeserved. That doesn't bother you, does it? Oh, it's the account of a really awful death. Utterly despicable. Today, many protest unjustified murders. Well, here's your chance, Christians. Where's your outrage? The innocent was slain. The innocent one was murdered while unprovoked. Why is it that we don't see anyone protesting in the streets on the account of Jesus, the Christ, the perfect one? Perfect, holy in God died an innocent sacrifice, that very Lamb of God. Oh, without death of that innocent one, you would die for eternity. Meditate on that the next time you become angry over an unjustified murder. Your Savior didn't deserve the death that he got. But you know that bloody gospel, that uncomfortable truth actually gets worse. In fact, the we are the guilty ones. That's you and I. Those that are in Christ are the actual murderers of the innocent one. And if you don't want to get blood on your hands, then this message is for you because we all better just leave here with the blood of the perfect one on our hands and on our hearts. Praise the Redeemer for his redemption. It's, in the Greek, it's apolytrosis. It's a compound word from two words. Apo, meaning separation. 
and litron, meaning the price for redeeming or ransom. So this is the price of redeeming that separation that was between us and God. That's what redemption is. It is the paying the price or the ransom of that separation. Releasing deliverance, liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Or more literally, it is the price, as I said, of redeeming the separation. Do you know that one time you were separated from the Father? What a horrible thought. Do you know much of the world around you has no hope as you do? Separated from the arms and the love of the Father. In darkness, they walk around trying their best to grapple with this life and the evils of this world. But once upon a time, there was you, separated from the Father. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were separated and cut off from the Father. But Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's that blood that actually pays that penalty and brings us and pays that ransom of that separation. It's the blood that brings us back near to the presence of God Almighty. We were lost that very presence the day that Adam, our forefather, sinned in the garden. He walked in the cool of the day with God himself. He knew him by name. What was his punishment? After being deceived and disobeying, God kicked him out of the garden. You can no longer be in my presence. You can no longer be in this perfect place that I have made for you. But the one came to bring redemption for those that were separated from the love of Christ. Oh, you were brought near again by the spilling of Jesus' blood. We're going to get to his blood, don't you worry. I want to read one more verse on this phrase. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to what? Separate us from the what? Love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you stand in Christ Jesus... Nothing will again separate you. Nothing can separate you. Why? Because his blood was enough. Oh, glory be to Jesus. Praise the Redeemer for redemption. He brought us near again into the presence of God Almighty. Redemption, the price for redeeming separation, ransom. Ransom. Well, who then did that Redeemer make payment to? Did the devil own us? Now this is important for us to consider if you haven't before, so pay attention. We were slaves, not to the devil, but to sin. Again, God did not pay payment to the devil, rather it was to sin. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air, but that devil never controlled us. 
That said, I want you to understand that everyone in the world that is outside of Christ is captive to someone other than Christ Jesus. They're captive to something, and it is sin. Everybody is captive. We were slaves. That we, we were slaves to sin. John 8, 34 says, everyone is a slave of sin. Romans 6, 17, slaves of sin. Romans 7, 14, sold into bondage to sin. Romans 8, 21, we were in slavery to corruption. So what is the owner? What is the captor of mankind? It's not the devil, it's sin. Sin was the owner that held us. Ever since that fall in the garden, we inherited a sinful nature. We had a, a, a sort of broken image of God. We, we could kind of sense God in our life, but we had sin that had totally corrupted us. Now that sin had demanded a price to be paid to release its victim. What was the price? What's the wages of sin? Death. The price of sin was death. So in order to purchase or to pay the ransom from the grasp of sin, there must have been death. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, which is simply describing death, without death there is no forgiveness. Ezekiel 18.20 says it this way, the person who sins will die. So the wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. Someone else died for you and made that payment so that you don't have to die. He paid the price of sin to free the slaves of sin, to set them free. That's the whole point and picture of redemption. That is exactly what Jesus did. He paid the price to set the we free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore stand fast and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back into your previous slave owner. Why are you going back to sin? I've set you free. Galatians 1.3, who gave himself, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. He delivered us from this present evil age and from slavery and from sin. Praise the Redeemer for redemption. How could we praise the Redeemer? Whom is he, you ask? Whom is this one that I should be praising? Well, he is the beloved one from verse 6. That's what it says, the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, is the beloved one. You see, because we are in Christ, because we are faithful in Christ Jesus, verse 1, we are therefore acceptable to God through His Son. That is, in Him we have that very redemption. There's only one Redeemer, beloved, and that's the beloved one. There's only one who has come to bring our redemption. And the reason that we can be called the beloved of God is because we are in Christ Jesus. We are actually participating in the belovedness of Jesus Christ. He is the one in whom we have redemption. You know, the term beloved was God's special name for his son. Some of you have children. Maybe you had little nicknames for them. I was chubby bubby. My mom loved me. I was fat. I was a fat toddler. I'm getting fat again. Maybe my mom will start calling me that again. I don't know. There's a picture of me in a diaper by the pool, and I had a pot belly. I mean, the thing was twice as big as the rest of my chest. I was just pooching. chubby bubby. God looks down on his son. You know what he calls him? My beloved. We don't have to wonder about who the beloved is. It's obvious. God himself tells us in Mark 1.11, he says, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. 
Again, God said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Colossians 1.13 says, for he has res- rescued us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of? That's one, but his beloved son in this particular verse, he's transferred us out of this, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. These verses are speaking of the same thing. Christ, the beloved of God. Christ is the beloved one. And if that wasn't clear enough, listen to what God declares about himself in Isaiah 41, 14. He says, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is our Boaz. He wanted to marry us when no one else would. Oh, church, praise the Redeemer for redemption. Well, how was that price paid? Well, as we said, it's very clear the wages of sin is death. The price was death. Somebody had to die, and the Bible tells us elsewhere that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Jesus did in him, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We have it through his blood. That's his death. Christ's blood, Jesus' blood was shed for the we. Our Redeemer spilt his precious blood for you in order to pay the wages of our sins. His blood was perfect. It was untainted. It was holy. It was without blemish. It was innocent. It was free from sin. It was undefiled. It was perfect. And he spilt it for the we, for you, for me. Oh, you better believe it. You better understand it. Because if it wasn't without, if his blood was not without sin, then his death was not sufficient to cover the penalty of your sins. He had to be perfect. It was the only way for the sins to be truly forgiven. Well, then how is it just to allow an innocent one to die? How? How could God dictate that his son would die? He didn't deserve it. Oh, is that your question? Is that your objection? You think it was not just for God to lay the sin upon Christ Jesus? To treat him as guilty? To let him die for the unjust? Oh, God is always just. And if the death of his son was an injustice, then God would be a liar. And if God was a liar, then the sacrifice of Jesus would mean nothing. You see, it is only because God was pleased to bruise him. If God did not lay the iniquity of us all on his back then you would have to pay the penalty yourself. Oh, but pastor, how can I do it? How can I pay myself? Tell me, is there another way? I'll tell you how you pay the penalty. You go to hell and you burn in a lake of fire for eternity. That's how you pay. The wages of sin is death. It's a spiritual death. In fact, you never really die physically. You just torment forever and ever. But there's another way, I tell you. All you have to do is sort of apply the blood of the innocent one. You sort of wash yourself in his blood. But here's the catch. It can't just be blood of anyone. It has to be blood of Jesus. God's son, the perfect one, the holy one, the Lamb of God is the only one who can come to take away the sins of the world. Sort of dip yourself into it. Sort of take a shower in his perfect blood. It'll wash away all your sins, past, present, and future. Oh, praise the Redeemer for redemption. 
Note, it's not through his power that you're saved. It's not through his love that you're saved. It's not through his compassion that you're saved. It's not through his great teaching that you're saved. It's through his blood. Matthew 27, 19 and 24, we have the account of Jesus on trial. The governor's wife sent him a message. This is Pilate. He says, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream. So Pilate, torn of what to do because there was an insurrection, there was a crowd, a mob really getting angry at this point. So him sort of trying to appease things at home so he wasn't in the doghouse for the next 10 years, but also that there wasn't ejected from his position as governor because the people overthrew him. He sort of washed his hands in front of him. And he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. And so this was to signify that he wasn't taking responsibility of killing Jesus and handing him over. And I believe a lot of Christians, this is exactly what they think they can do today. They sort of try to find a way to not be responsible for the death of Jesus. I used to think that way when I was a baby Christian. Wait a second, I'm in Christ. He forgives me, right? I thought in Christ we're, res- we're not responsible for our past actions. He doesn't even hold it against me anymore. Oh, church, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You may not be held accountable for your actions in Christ, but he doesn't hold them against you in the beloved, but you are still responsible for your actions. The thing is, if you never realize that it was for your sins that he was crucified, you will never truly walk in his forgiveness. That is, if you don't see yourself as the judge, the jury, and the executioner of Jesus, the innocent one, then you have yet to be washed in his blood. You're no different than Pilate. You're no different than the Sanhedrin. You're no different than the Jews. You're no different than the Roman guards who whipped his back and stuck a, thrust a spear in his side that drove the nails in his hands and his feet. You were there that day, even if you physically weren't. You've got to come to recognize that every one of your sins makes you responsible for the death of Jesus. You can't lay the blame on Pilate. You can't lay the blame on the Sanhedrin. You've got to own it. That's what it's all about when we come to the cross. It is acknowledgement that is our sin that hung Jesus there. It was his love that drove him to do that. He didn't have to. He could have just stepped off. His, he could have just said, I'm, I'm not going through this. I'm not going to sacrifice myself. Oh, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He hung there on the tree for you with you in mind. Now, the very next verse after Pilate stated, I am innocent of this man's blood, the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Now, as you look at the verse, it's verse 26 of Matthew 27. It's clear that the people are accepting responsibility for crucifixion. They're willing to bring a curse on their own children for Jesus' death. I absolutely believe and understand that's the context, but I want to look at this verse in another light, and I shared this revelation a couple Easter's ago. What if we apply the blood as a source of blessing, a source of forgiveness, redemption? It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're washed. 
What if we look at this as an echo to the Passover lamb where the blood was over the lentil and on the doorpost and because of the blood, the angel of death passed over that dwelling. It's the same way today. Because of the blood of Jesus, God does not see my sin and so I want to join in and say, his blood be on me and on my children. Pass over me, angel of death. I have the blood of Jesus on my lentils of my mind and on the doorpost of my heart. See, without that blood covering, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's why G John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I want us to sort of, in, in our minds, wash ourselves in the blood of Jesus. Recognize that ultimately you have to be washed in the blood, that you are responsible for that blood, and that the only way you can escape the punishment and penalty of death because of your sins is to be washed in that blood. May we all recognize the need for his blood to be on our hands. All you have to do is acknowledge that it was your sin that put the Son of God there and let his blood cover you. Apply the blood to the lintels. Wipe it on the doorpost. But you will obtain his everlasting forgiveness. Praise the Redeemer for redemption. Oh, it's by his blood being poured out that he paid the price and he offers us the purchase price to buy us back from the slave market of sin and to turn us loose and to set us free. It's no wonder Peter said, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. No wonder he thought it was precious. It had to be the unblemished and spotless blood and it makes even more sense as to why all the singing is going on in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. They were singing a new song. What did they sing? Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals. You were slain and purchased for God with the blood of men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know why he was worthy to open the scrolls? Because he was the only one with perfect blood. It's no wonder the angels were singing. Only Jesus was worthy to pay the penalty. It's no wonder Peter said it was precious. And when that precious blood is applied... You're able to forgive, to receive the forgiveness of your trespasses, the redemption of your souls. That's what redemption is about. And yet if there was any doubt of what exactly redemption by his blood means, Paul follows up with a footnote in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. He says that phrase is the forgiveness of sins. It denotes the same thing. Jesus even said when he was teaching the people to, to keep the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the blood of my New Testament which is shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood is the forgiveness. The blood is the redemption. Praise the Redeemer for his redemption. I don't know about you, but it's nice to be forgiven, isn't it? Oh, what an inheritance. Redemption. Forgiveness. Israel, in the Old Testament, understood this. You know, they had this day of atonement. You may know it as Yom Kippur. The day of national atonement for sin, and there were two goats that were used by the high priest. The blood of one goat was sprinkled on the altar. The other goat, the other goat, the priest went up to that goat. He put his hands on the goat's head as if he were laying all of the sins of the people on that goat. And you know what they did with that goat as they confessed the sins? That goat was taken out, sent into the wilderness where it could never find its way back. It symbolized the taking of sin and sending it away where it would never, ever be seen again. Beloved, 
That is exactly what was fulfilled perfectly in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, the word means to send away. That's the word that's used here. It's sent away. The forgiveness of sins are sent away, never to return. Our sins have been sent away. Isn't that incredible? Now listen to me. Remember, we are in chapter 1. All of this is happening in the mind of God before the world began. Your sins and mine were already in God's mind, totally forgiven. Before the world was ever created, what a thought. Some Christians go around depressed because they think God's going to hold everything against them. I used to be there, a college student, begging for God not to return to the earth yet. Don't send your son back yet. I haven't lived a good life. I haven't dabbled with sin enough. I'm not ready, Lord. I'm not ready to fully follow you. Sort of feeling guilty about every little slip up you make. Feel like you have to confess again, get resaved again. Oh, I did this. God's never going to love me. God, I promise I'll never do that again if... Dot, dot, dot. Lord, if you just give me one more chance, I promise I'll, I'll take you serious this time. God doesn't hold anything against you. You know, that goat was sent away. So were your sins. Do you know how far that goat was sent away? Are you ready for this? Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know, anyone know how many miles that is? I hear they're still doing the math on it. Let me give you another one. Isaiah 44, 22, if you're taking notes, write this one down. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. That's right. Redemption was found in the book of Isaiah 700 years before the Redeemer even arrived. God had his eyes on you knowing exactly what you would do. Praise the Redeemer for redemption, for the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 2.12, my little children, he's forgiven you all your trespasses for his name's sake. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 2.13, he's forgiven you all your trespasses. People think, well, you know, I've struggled to keep the slate clean. Listen, all of your sins were forgiven before you were born in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, they're all there. All you had to do was sort of apply the blood, but God knew what you would choose. He knew that you would walk in him. He nailed them to the cross that day. He nailed them in his mind before the world began. It was there. It was all taken care of. It was finished. And it's just as Jesus said to Peter, if you've once had a bath, all you need to do is just kind of wash your feet off. They get a little bit dusty. Well, how do we do that as we walk through the world from day to day? The sin, the Holy Spirit does a little dusting just to keep us clean. And that's what it says in 1 John 1.9. It says, let me just read it in the Amplified Translation. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confessed our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will and purpose, thought and action. Ongoing forgiveness, continuous cleansing, accept it, embrace it, walk in it, church. Praise the Redeemer for redemption. 
you say, well, doesn't that mean that God accepts me? That's right. That's exactly what it means. God accepts you. He accepts you. Watch this. In the beloved one, not in your good looks, not in your great mind, not on the basis of your works and deeds, but on the basis of His plan before the foundation of the world, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in Christ Jesus. Oh, glory be for lavish grace. How many of you are just settling for grace, but I want lavish grace? That's the end of verse 7. It says, how much forgiveness? How much forgiveness do we have? I don't know if there's enough forgiveness to go around. Oh, yeah, according to the riches of His grace. Now dwell on that phrase, according to. It's all grace. Just remember that grace is undeserved favor. It's all grace based on his love. But he always gives according to his riches. Well, how rich is God? Let me just tell you something. God's pretty rich. When God gives, he doesn't give out his poverty, does he? He gives out of his riches. According to his riches. Always in abundance. Forgiveness according to his riches. Blessing according to his riches. Do you know that we serve a God who is a God of more than enough? He didn't just feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. Guess what? There were 12 baskets left over. He didn't forgive some of your sins. He forgived all of them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. David said his cup overflows. How many of you want your cup overflowing? Our God is the God of more than enough. Oh, church, wash yourself in the blood. There's plenty of his blood to go around. Don't sort of sprinkle it on yourself. Baptize yourself. Grab your neighbor, if you will. Dunk him in the blood of Jesus. Praise the Redeemer for his redemption. He offers you a gift. And this gift is something you just take. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. You just take it simply in your heart by saying this prayer. Now bow your heads with me. Christ, I want to take your gift of redemption. I accept the fact that you died for me. You paid the price to set me free. Your blood was more than enough. Now wash me. Cleanse me of my sins. Father, I want to follow after you with my whole heart. Amen. And now with that prayer, you enter into eternal life, that incredible existence, that plan which he prepared before the foundations of the world. And I want you, church, to all walk away from here feeling victorious because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Give him some praise in this place for his blood. Thank you, Father. <laughs>